Welcome back, everyone, to the Teacher Talk podcast. This is CJ Reynolds, and I wanted to remind you that my new book came out. Teacher Class Off, The Real Rap Guide to Teaching is now available at Amazon and on barnesandnoble.com. And it would be available at B. Dalton bookstores if they still existed. Alas, it does not. So if you do end up getting the book, if you would please, please, please leave a comment thing on Amazon, review rather, that would really mean the world to me. It helps the book get to more people. And that's it. Without further ado, here's this week's episode of Teacher Talk. Peace. Welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. And it's Sunday night and talk, which is like the end of the year. And so it's feeling like the end of the year and it's feeling like um, very ready for the school year to be done. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But um, as we're getting started here, uh, you can go ahead and um, put in some questions, say some stuff in the comment section there. And there we go. Master, uh, the English master is on there. And uh, my Scottish friend, Tracy, what's up? Um, let's see what else is going to pop up here. I am still in school. I am. So here's my, my quick question is, are you still in school? That's what I'm wondering, uh, because I'm seeing a lot of people on Instagram that are already finished. And this is our last week. We have half days all week where I just have to administer finals. Kids only have to come in if they have a final. And I really like our process for that. We do a good job. And then I think I think graduation's the week after, maybe oh, this week. Sorry. I forget. So no, 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 no. This is just finals this week. So it's it's you're, awesome. You're done. Dude, we're so done. We're so done. Oh. We're not done like Florida done, but is anyone st- I want I'm wondering who's still in school? Uh Lauren is saying, unfortunately, yes, this is the last week of our classes. And then we have a week of finals after that. We just have a week of finals too. And Tracy's saying, I was done Thursday, staying on the right, the math curriculum for the next two weeks. Oh, man. But no students. Yeah. Uh, yeah. School with no students in it is a magical place. Nick is saying, good morning from Australia. Good morning. It is just about dinner time here <laughs> in the U.S. It's 5 p.m. They are saying we're almost halfway throughout the year. Geez, still going year round. Year round, though, Amanda Glover, what does that look like for like when are you off? Like, do you get like a, a month off or, or a few weeks, like around the holidays, or kind of how's that work from where you are? Uh, Naomi's saying she just finished a semester one at, un- at uni, university, but students still in, in, Aust- still in, Australia. Uh, in Australia. Yeah. Uh, Still in school, two more days working. I feel like that two more days is like, right, you're so ready for it to be over. But if I had year-round schooling and I had something to look forward to, like the next lesson, I think I'd be all right. But because I'm just counting down till we're done and just reviewing and it's not fun, it's just kind of like a drag. And this was a really difficult year anyway. So it just kind of was a bummer. Um Wait, Amanda Glover, you have four days off in August? Like, that's your biggest break? That's crazy. Oh, no, she said something. Oh, did she say it? Okay. Nope, we get a week for at Christmas time, one week during spring break, but we lost that due to snow days. Four days in June, but we lost that to snow days and four days in August. Man, 
that's a different kind of schedule. I wonder what that's like. Uh, Ryan from Boston, what's up? Ryan, are you finished school yet? Um, let's see. This week is the last week with kids final NCFE tomorrow and remediation. What's that? And uh, students coming back from Nice. With three weeks uh, left and I can't s start my holidays until mid-July. That is crazy. Oh, Amanda Glover, autism school. So is that just, uh, is that because of that consistency piece that needs to be there? Or like do the children live at the school? I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but I'm interested. Um, what's up, Muppet? And yes, my last day off is Thursday, all half days. Fantastic, man. Well, listen, this week, what's up? Oh, Karen Howard, am I heading to California this summer? Karen Howard, that is the question, right? I am, so I really want, the plan was to go, I have two things coming up that I want to tell people about, um, maybe three. I was supposed to go to California this summer. I still would like to go to California this summer. The problem I'm running into is that I'm going to Chicago on like June 24th for four days and then I'm coming back and I'm doing um, a reading program at a school here called the Delaware Valley Friends School and they are running a free seminar for teachers that want to get certified in Orton-Gillingham like Wilson-based reading and the reason I'm so interested in that is because I have a lot of students that really struggle with how to read and you all I mean i think we're all in the same boat here is that when you go to school for secondary English education, they don't teach you how to teach kids to read. They just teach you like how to get a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, you know what they teach you, but they don't. So if you have a student that comes in that does not know how to read, I don't know a whole lot of actual tactical ways to help kids grasp um, how to read better, uh, except if I just have them read more or if I give them simpler texts and hopefully that helps. But so this Orton Gillingham based um, program is something I'm really interested in, something I'm interested in for my, for my own children, for my students at school. So, Hey beast. And so they, uh, so I'm, I'm going to that and I, I'm not sure how much that's going to interfere. And then for those of you, here comes the beast. Uh, for those of you that are in New York city, I'm going to be in New York city on Thursday, right at the Ed by Ed conference, which is in the Chelsea neighborhood in Manhattan. So Chris Emden is speaking. It's a free event. I don't know if there's still tickets available, but if you want to get tickets for that and meet up, then we can do that. There goes the not so secret wife. So um, they, so that's, that's the gig coming up. So we're trying to figure out California and that's going to be one day at a time. One, uh, my wife is saying one day at a time. That should be a TV show, I think. So let's jump into this. It's the end of the year. What are you thinking about? What are you wondering about? I have a lot of new videos coming up. Um, I got to go speak at LaSalle University the other night in Philadelphia, and that was really fun and interesting. And now let's do this. What are you, um, what's going on at the end of the year that you're concerned about or thinking about? And what can we kind of, kind of talk about here? So my wife walked away for a second, and she usually looks at the comments and stuff for me. But the boy is starving, apparently. So, so that's. I'll let you. I'll let you look for a second. So I got to go and speak with students from 
Erie, Pennsylvania, that were at LaSalle for a program studying like urban education. And it was a great conversation. It was, uh, it was them kind of like getting their feet wet, getting to sit in on classrooms, seeing what it's like to be a teacher, and then all the questions that they wanted to ask. And I will answer, like on here, I'll answer anything. I don't shy. There's nothing I shy away from. But it's, I just think that that world is so fascinating because the kids like came never didn't come from anywhere near that that world that sort of like inner city world and so the thing i think is is even more interesting about that is that a lot of students were saying how like the teachers seemed burnt out and the teachers seemed like they were acting a certain way and we talked a lot about that we talked about teachers being able to hold one another up teachers being able to take care of one another um how it's the end of the year. And so even, you know, as optimistic as I try to be in the classroom, like when you're at the end of the year and you haven't like that kid is still as much of a headache as they were in the beginning of the year, it's real hard to just like be super patient because you're like, this clearly didn't work this year. We need to come up with a new tactic. Um, and it's hot. My air conditioner broke in my room this week. So it was super hot in my room. And it's just, it's a drag. It's uh, the beginning of the year and the end of the year, my least favorite times. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot of good stuff coming up, though, that I'm that I'm interested in. But um, so, Laura, let's see, what, what are we saying here? Laura's saying, worried that I'll never get all of my assessments done. I want to enjoy my students these last few weeks, but assessing them one by one is taking away that precious time. Yeah, it's... I man, that's a hard thing to kind of talk about because all schools are so different. I tend to push off my responsibility so that I can be with students. And then I try to like crush those in later. And the time that I am working on that stuff, I tell kids like, I, I literally can't talk right now unless it's an absolute emergency because I'm trying to get these grades done. Uh, because, you know, Students are so funny in that we had an assembly, the end of the year assembly the other day. Kids were trying to sneak out during the entire assembly. But then at the end of the school day, they didn't leave the school. They just didn't want to be in the assembly, but they just don't want to not be in school. Or they act like they don't want to be in school, but they really do. So it's kind of like weird thing that, that goes on. So you will get them all done. I think, you know, there's a there's a, something, I, I want to say it's called Parkinson's Law, that says, an activity will take the amount of time that you give it. And the idea there is that you, you know that if you have all day to clean your house, or your apartment, or even your room when you're a kid, your house will take all day to clean. But if someone says that they're coming over in an hour or in 30 minutes or they have to pick something up in 20 minutes, your house magically gets cleaned in that amount of time. Now, it might not be like the best, but you can – get that stuff done in that amount of time. And anyone who's ever thought they were going to start writing that paper on Friday after school and then Friday night came and Saturday and Saturday night came and Sunday night, you can magically kind of get that thing written in that little bit of, of time that you have. And, and that is just kind of how it seems like it works. Um, Amanda Glover is saying, I could use advice on managing a para. I have five sort of like teacher assistants so what do you do when you have issues with staff uh, you you have to work with? That is, oh 
man, that, that is tricky. I have had a number of people co-teach with me even, or paras in the room. Like para, for those of you that don't know what that is, a paraprofessional is someone who's not technically certified to teach children, but they're sort of like an aide in the classroom and they help with everything they, you know, that you need them to help with, whether that's grading stuff or helping kids one-on-one or, or anything else that you need. And so I think it's real funny that when we are matched up with someone, but you didn't have a say in who you were matched up with. So I've had folks that I did not get along with at all, no matter how hard I tried, I would invite them over for dinner. I would invite them out with us. I'd try and have lunch with them. I would sunflower seeds or junior mints. And I would just bring them in one day and say, Hey, I saw these at the store and I know that you really like them. So I got them for you. And that didn't work. They didn't like jokes or they didn't like my jokes, which were, are weird. Sometimes I will agree. Or they didn't like the kids or they didn't like what we were doing. And so it's such a drag. I think the best thing you can do is just try to get along or maybe talk with someone that gets along with them and not as a way to like talk behind their back. I would try and ask them to be confidential about it, but say like, Hey, look, I'm having a hard time getting like, like locking in with this person. And I think that we should, but so like, what's a way that I can do that. And I think that that can help also. I think also having like really clearly defined roles in the classroom so they know exactly what's expected. And if you're the lead teacher, they should be kind of following your lead. And I know that is not always the case. Some people kind of go rogue and just do their own thing. But I, th- I think having those hard conversations is like one of those parts of being just a professional that you have to learn how to do. But it's but everyone's different, right? Like those conversations are going to sound different with different types of people. So sometimes like talking to a trusted friend or individual or someone that knows them is the best way around that because then you can kind of get a sense of who they are, um, what your best tactic should be. And maybe they have something going on too that you just don't know about. And once you guys can kind of lock in on a different level, it, it gets easier. Ryan, Prito was saying, I'm starting as a fourth grade teacher, first year teaching. What are the best ways to prepare during the summer? Books, programs, fourth grade, man. Um, I would say I really like, can you, can you write a note so we can link this? There is, I, I'm fairly certain you need a piece of paper. There's tons of pieces of paper on the table, but they are, all have 90 drawings on them. Um, I think this one's clear. So they, uh, there we go. Our daughter does like a million drawings a day. It seems like sometimes. So I think there is an Albert Cullum is his name. who was a teacher in like the 1950s who was amazing. And his teaching strategy still, I think, holds true. And he did a lot of amazing stuff. I'll link that in the description box below. Also, there's a, uh, a documentary on Rafe Esquith that I think is really, really interesting and worth your time. He taught fifth grade or fifth, fifth grade, I think, not sixth grade, fifth grade. But his kids read everything from To Kill a Mockingbird to um, Autobiography of Malcolm X, uh, Huckleberry Finn. They learned algebra. They did a lot of higher level stuff. And not. And it can kind of make you feel like that's what you should be doing with kids. But more than anything, I think what comes across to, came across to me was his level of care for the students and his 
intentionality and his the way that he focused on things and the way that he made very complex ideas sort of understandable to kids. So that is something that I think is is really impressive about them. Other than that, I think um I put my finger up. Well I was gonna say, especially going into fourth grade, I would if you're not familiar with learning, just like this more silent kind of learning yeah. disability. So on them, because that's generally when parents are like saying, Hey, we're really behind yeah. third grade ended and they have concerns. And so you do a lot of that. I imagine. So if you can't hear what my wife is saying, um, she's saying to do a little bit of work and look in on things that are sort of like, uh, what do we refer to them as? Well, like silent, uh, like silent disabilities. disabilities, right? So like dyslexia, um, kids that have high functioning autism, kids that might have might a number of other, like not so in your face kind of disabilities. And, and I don't mean that to take away from anyone that has anything serious going on, but, but kids that like don't present and then they just quietly struggle in school, kind of looking up some information on like, what are the best ways to help those folks? Because fourth grade, you know, what I, one of the things I always hear teachers saying is that, you know, first through third, you're learning to read. And then in fourth grade, you're reading to learn. And so if you can't read, then you're really going to struggle and, and be behind. And I think that those are interesting things to not like bog yourself down with, but like to just be mindful of and, and to, to be thinking of as you go. Um, Diana. Is. I like the idea of parental involvement. And so, but I don't have a lot in my school, but that's probably because I don't ask for it. I just, I just have this sense that the parents, so most of my guys come from the statistics show anyway, that most of my students come from single parent homes and mom or grandma are working more than one job to try and like keep the kids, like keep the family afloat. And so when things are going like troubling happens with a student or they're acting out in class, I try and handle that stuff between me and the student. And I very rarely call home because I want that connection to be between me and the student. Now, that being said, if my daughter has something going on, I always want to be involved. If my son needs a parent to come into school or to be a chaperone to every single because I like being with the kids. I like hanging out. I like being um you know, my, my mom was always like the favorite ever we had a trip. Like, I think, yeah, if I had more parental involvement, especially if I taught a lower grade, I'd want to find out who like the parent and maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know, but I think that, uh, that's kind of what that makes me think of um naomi Plummer is saying what are your thoughts if on gamification in the literary classroom i'm not sure i don't understand what gamification i think is. i think i know what you're talking about can you break that down for me though naomi are we talking about like making reading into like a sport or into a competitive thing because i i definitely have thoughts on that so let me know if that's what you're kind of thinking of um no, you think I'm just making stuff up? Maybe. Well, maybe I just invented something new that people will find useful, even though I don't. I don't know. <laughs> um, Ryan Preto is asking: 
Also, I'm going to a four-day training with my coworkers for the AVID conference. Any advice for interacting with seasoned teachers? I feel like I'm going to sleep over with no friends. Um, so I think, look, if there's one thing teachers love talking about, it's teaching, right? It's, it is, I, I just think teachers are, being a teacher is often like being the coach of a baseball team that no one really wants to play on, right? So you have to like try and figure, you know, this captive audience that you're trying to get engaged in something that they might not really. So if you go into it with a sense of learning, asking questions, um, I think what benefited me was when I, you know, when I first started teaching, I felt like I knew something. And when I finally realized that I didn't know anything, it's like that line from one of my favorite movies of all time, Point Break, when he says, you know nothing. In fact, you know less than nothing. If you even knew that you knew nothing, that would be something, but you don't. And so when I kind of realized that I was, I acted more like a sponge, right? And so maybe go into it with that sense is that you're introducing yourself to people, you're talking to folks and you're asking them like, What's your take on classroom management? What's your take on, take on building relationships with students? How do you teach this particular concept? Or how do you teach this particular subject matter? And I think what that does is it's giving people a place to talk about their best work, which everyone's the most comfortable about their best work and not so comfortable about what they struggle with. And then you just get to be a sponge and kind of like soak up all of this good stuff that people are telling you. And making connections with folks, maybe get their email address so you can email them later, or they can maybe send you a lesson or a unit plan on something. Uh, I just think that's a really good way to go into it and sort of acting like, you know, um, even on my channel, I am not some kind of like master teacher that's been in this for 30, 40, 50 years or whatever. Like I've been teaching for 12 years and I try and go about it as someone that's been teaching for 12 years. And I know that if I meet someone that's been teaching for much longer than I am, that I am the novice and that I want to like absorb as much information as I can from you. And that's that? her response. Oh, uh, Naomi is saying in terms of gamification, lessons built around the concept of games. Dude, I was totally right. Um, and prizes and points for everything ranging from turning on work, participating. To <laughs> Sorry. Man, that is... I totally just hit you on live feed also. Just, it wasn't hot. I mean, it was just like a, you know what I mean? Um, I don't, I think there's a couple of different ways that you could go about that. I remember like book it when I was a kid was the reading program. Did you have book it? And you got points for reading books. And then like one year, like this kid won a bicycle because you read a lot of books. And I think he lied anyway. And we got pizza parties. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Or you get pizza parties like and pizza stuff like that. So, it's like you want kids to read because or do work because it's there's some sort of intrinsic value and not just because the extrinsic rewards. But if that get, you know, maybe if I, I guess the idea there is that if you get kids reading, they get hooked on reading and then they want to read. But, you know, it's just like anything else in school where like you constantly hear things like kids asking, is this going to be on the test? Is this worth how many points is this worth? What's what, do I have to do this? Um, oh, we're not getting points for it, then I don't care about it. So I, you do, it is tricky when you're talking about points all the time, because you want kids to do the good work because they want to do the good work. But to be honest, look at us as adults, as professionals. Like if something's not your job, how many, how often do you hear people say like, that's not my job, or that's, 
that's not part of what I'm supposed to be doing. Or am I getting paid late to stay extra? Nope. Well, then I'm getting out of here. And you know, I was reading this book last week called, what the heck was it called? Lynchpin by Seth Godin. And Seth Godin was talking about this idea. And I think this is really awesome that we are not, you know, I, I say this a lot, but we're not cogs in a machine, but we are artists as any job that you have, you are an artist. And even as teachers and some schools will treat you like a cog where like, if you leave, that's not a big deal because they'll put somebody else in the machine and that person will be able to read the lesson plans and carry on the scripted lesson as, as needed. But some people get the idea that you are an artist, that you're creating things as you go along, that you go above and beyond, that you do, you are the, the human component to this. You are generous. You are kind. You go that little bit of extra. And I just think that that is where we should be coming from and trying to teach kids that. And so I think you can do both. I think you can give points for stuff because I definitely hold points over my kids' heads sometimes. Sometimes I tell them they get imaginary extra credit points and kids actually will do stuff. If you say, yo, for two points of imaginary extra credit, you get this. And then that is kind of funny. Um, so I think it really depends on your class and it depends. I would have the conversation with my students and say, this is for points. And this is what we're doing. Not everything's for points. And this is why, because I don't want you to just, you know, try to get to win points, to win a, a grade or something like that. That's not what it's about. And, and anyone that tries to tell you that it is, they're just trying to like get you to, to fight for, for something that's totally meaningless. Like it's, you know, you should be doing this for, for a much deeper reason. And I think those, I think getting to that point in school comes from actually having conversations with your students and actually imparting that information and not just hoping that that's what they're going to do. My Scottish friend is asking, I have a teacher who's feeling underappreciated, underpaid, undervalued, et cetera, but loves teaching. I don't think she'll get much better elsewhere than she does now. Any advice for her? I, you know, I've dealt with this a lot. And one, I think my school is fantastic. And I think that it's funny to me when people think they are going to go somewhere else because they think it's going to be better. Like the grass is always greener kind of a concept. And I just know that probably it's not going to be any better. You're always going to run into some kind of issue somewhere. But in order to help people feel better, I think it's as easy as having students like write a card. You can even get something that's like they have to fill certain parts of it out. Like Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so always do this for me. Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so wouldn't know, but I feel this way. And then taking the best of those and and giving them to those teachers. I've had uh, parties for teachers. I've made signs for teachers. I've decorated their desks. I've um, talked about this all the time. One of my favorite things to do that's really weird is take um, pictures of myself and put them in frames on their desk and take out their family pictures or that picture of their dog or their children and have a nice little Reynolds picture. And I think that just shows people that you remember them. It makes it a little bit more fun for them. Maybe you have something for their birthday or you get them something for their birthday or, you know, you find little ways to celebrate them, but also to have the kids celebrate them. So you can't always win over administration or other teachers, but the students are usually willing to go somewhere to go that little extra for someone and it gives them ownership. It makes the teachers feel seen and feel noticed and feel appreciated. 
because the teachers are really there for the kids and never for the adults. And that I just think can, can work. So what kind of little ways, what do they love that you can do that would be fun or that the kids could, you know, decorate their school desk or, you know, write nice letters to them or something like that, I think is, is a fun way. And, and to that end, you, I think we'd are all surprised when, you know, just that little thing that someone does makes the biggest difference. So it doesn't have to be all out. You don't have to like take them to dinner or something, but just those small acts of kindness sometimes can really have a deep impact on people's days and on their years. Uh, Kimberly Wallback is saying, what is the best way to support staff that seems stressed out at the end of the year? Uh, so same kind of thing. I think, I think she also said, can you put notes about Delaware Valley friends? Oh yeah. I'll put a link for Delaware Valley friends, the, uh, Wilson program. It's not Wilson. It's Orton Gillingham. Orton Gillingham. Sorry. Sorry. Two different programs. Listen, (laughs) um, what would you say? I'm trying to think of someone specific that we've done. For this, like cool what stuff for it. Yeah, you they're like, stressed out. You like to get flowers. You've gotten flowers often, like really cheap ones, like Produce Junction or something. Yeah, so there's a place near our house called Produce Junction, and they have really cheap flowers that don't live Beautiful. very long. But it doesn't matter. And I think walking into your room and someone has flowers on your desk, or I've had someone. Um, yeah buy me uh, like a nice card or write a nice card like a random card that i got that said like hey i just so you know like out of nowhere you mean a lot to me i really noticed that you do this 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 and this in school and it's really wonderful i had a year where my friend sarah wrote cards to i if not the all the the staff to the people that kind of stood out to her the most and i got one of those cards and it was totally random it was like a Tuesday morning, I walked into school and this nice gift was on my desk. Little things like that. It can really be anything and it really goes a long way. Uh, what's that? Are you still looking something up? Um, oh, um, Levi Gonzalez said your videos have helped them in one way or another. Thanks so much. Does this dog have to go out? Is that what he's trying to tell me? Here we are. It's a live feed and the dog has to pee it's in the middle of it. So. My read. One swim chick is saying, I learned about cultural differences and learning in my credential program. So, what factors do you think can help reduce social differences in classrooms? What do you think can heighten them? So, you know, I just talked to kids about this the other day. Hold on. Look, factors help reduce social. I don't. So, I think this is a. in their lives. And I think that the more we realize that we're all just human, and this sounds a little hippie, right? But we're all just humans, that it goes, it's a little bit easier to manage those differences. That we're not, it's not so much that, you know, I, I am a 41-year-old white man that grew up in a neighborhood in New Jersey that looked like the beaver. Wally and the beaver lived there when they were kids or it was kind of like uh what's that movie that we love pleasantville right where like everything's kind of perfect ish right like my life wasn't perfect but it was not i don't deal with a fraction of things that my students deal with so now i teach in in west philadelphia and before that camden new jersey which is sometimes considered the most dangerous city in the country 
And, you know, and I come from a very different place where I don't deal with the stuff that my kids deal with. I've never seen someone get shot. I don't fear going to the basketball court because someone has a gun. I can't, there's not, there aren't certain parks I can't hang in because there's gang violence there or something like that. I've never seen anyone get beaten up in my life. It was, I don't come from the same place, but I can ask you about yourself. I can be interested in who you are and what you're about and not in a way that like, just in a way that I'm just curious. So right now we're in the middle of Ramadan and most of, of or a lot of my students are Muslim and um, they, this is, so people are coming in with like kufis on that haven't worn kufis all year. They have like different kind of, um, I don't know the right word for it, but like sort of like different outfits or religious garb that they wear to school or they have to leave class or they can pray or the fact that they fast all day. And so I talk to my students about this and I talk to them about like just asking like, hey, what does that signify? What are you what are you wearing today? Like, why did you choose to wear that today and you didn't wear it yesterday? Um, what is it like to, to fast? And then last week I fasted a day. And I didn't eat from before the sun came up till after the sun went down because that's what my students are doing. And then I let them know, like, hey, I tried that. I just want you to know I it is very difficult. Like, And so they talked about their process and how they get used to it and the kind of foods that they can't <clears throat> excuse me, oh. eat during that time. So like if you go from fasting all day apparently and you eat fried food at night, it really wrecks your system. So – just talking about that kind of stuff from almost like an interviewer point of view, it lets them know that you want to be aware. It lets them know that you actually care. And then kids are going to ask all time. Are, and that just those kind of like seemingly easy conversations, like regular stuff is what leads into the deep stuff. So few years ago was I don't know if it was last year or the year before where there was like this rash it seemed like on the news every night they were, they were talking about some white cop that shot a black kid and every time this happened this was a big deal in school and the kids were all talking about it and they would throw words around like they do this or they do that or you all are like this and so we were at a place in our class where I was able to stop and say well look let's talk about that because when you say they like, who are we talking about? And let's break that down because, you know, am I a part of the they or is, are your other teachers a part of the they? And, and it was from a place where like, I wasn't trying to be right. I wasn't trying to prove kids wrong. We were just having the conversation and learning how to have the conversation together. And it really, really helped a lot, but you have to not be afraid to talk about some of those things. And they say, don't talk about religion and politics, but if that's what the kids want to talk about, guess what? I'm going to have that conversation with you because I just think that this is a safe place. And if we can't talk about it here, where can we talk about it? Um, Destiny Williams is asking. Uh, sorry, because I skipped her question and I read that she was like, hey, you're going in order and you skipped me. Oh, oh, <laughs> my wife said she skipped her. Sorry. Wait, you did it on purpose? No. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> sorry about that, Destiny. Um, but Destiny's question is, what information would you give a new teacher with an alternate route certification who is looking for work, no experience, and I will be attending a teacher job fair in my area next week. Any advice? So one, I think one of my favorite pieces of it, remember that you're interviewing the schools too. So before you walk up to that booth where the teachers are sitting 
look a little bit up about their school. So if you know you're going over to, I don't know, if you're in Philadelphia, you're going over to like the Overbrook camp or their school, little hangout or whatever, like look up about their school and then be able to ask them a question or two about their program. Uh, I see you have this program in your school. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? And that shows that you kind of did your homework a little bit and that you, and it it doesn't give kind of it shifts the leverage right it sh- it kind of puts them on on the spot for the moment and, and that's good it levels the playing field and shows that you know a little bit about what you're talking about other than that you know alternate route folks that i know have usually had to start teaching in a school that um maybe they didn't see themselves teaching in like they couldn't go right for that you know, nice cush job in the burbs. They had to like teach somewhere in the inner city or in a more rural area where teachers like, um, like there was just higher teacher turnaround. So they had more positions available. So I think that you could do that as well. Like, uh, and to me, that's my jam anyway. I always wanted to teach on the fringes because I just am attracted. Like that's where my heart is, is for kids on on kind of like the edges of, of society and uh, where they're maybe not getting as many good teachers. So yeah, that's that's what I would try and do. But be yourself and know about the place that you're going to interview with, and that can win a lot of points a lot of times. Oh brother! <laughs> so for a guy that's bad with names, um, oh, Selvin. Nine, bro. Su- 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 sir or miss? Sir. All right. I apologize because I'm not going to be able to say your name because I'm just terrible with names and has nothing to do with anyone else except for my own inability to say names. But uh, the question is, Reynolds, would you explain why you don't allow students to turn in assignments late? Personally, I feel like if the main goal is for the kids to learn, why does it matter if they're, when the learning takes place? That's a really good question, right? So... I had a whole conversation. So I made a video and I mentioned that in there. And a lot of. Marking period. And part of me gets that right. I get the idea that like we're trying to get kids to learn. And if they don't turn in late, then like at least they're doing the work before the end of the semester. In my experience, I've learned that. I am, it's really important for me to, for my students to know, like to hand things in on time, to pay attention to detail. And if you don't do that, then you've lost credit on that assignment. Now, what does not happen very often is me having a student that doesn't hand anything in that like totally gives up and doesn't hand anything in. And then at the end of the semester, they ask to hand in all of that work, right? The, the, the reason I have an issue with that is because someone who has been responsible all year that has handed in the work, who has stayed up late and, and stayed after school and gotten the tutoring and tried hard, if they get, um, you know, whatever grade they get and they pass by the end of the semester, if I have a student that just shocked the whole year, came in late, slept through class, didn't do anything, and then tried to, like, at the last moment, like, have this kind of Hail Mary throw that they were going to like pass with. I just felt like that was unfair. Now, 
what I have done in the past is, so I'm, nothing's ever set in stone for me ever. There's always outliers. So I have had times where I've had a number of kids that have not done anything. They've given up. They didn't think they were going to stay at my school. They thought they were moving. They thought their dad wasn't really going to keep them at the school or they were going to, you know, like they didn't think it would be so hard. And so at the end of the semester, I will have a certain number of kids um, a year that, that work. And I, look, I do not do this often, but, uh, but I am going to let you make up this work, but I need you to actually understand it. So you're not just going to sit there. You're not going to copy it. You're not going to get someone's old papers. Um, Cause that's what happens a lot too, is we're like, all right, I handed I, everyone handed in their work. I handed it back. It was all graded. And now someone uses someone's old paper to complete their assignment. And then they handed it. So um, what I want them to do is, is know the skills and then I'll give them partial credit on those assignments so that they can pass. So that's really my reason is because I just, in my experience, I've seen kids just try and get away with stuff. And that's what I'm trying to kind of nip in the bud. And I want to be as consistent as possible. And when I say that there's no late work that I really need you to do it now, then there's no late work. So if you decide to mess around, then you lose that. But I do understand where you're coming from in terms of like wanting kids to learn the concepts and all of this information. And if we like, you know, are we not giving them the opportunity? I hear what you're saying for that as well. Um, Nayara is asking, have you heard of a strictly standards-based grading system, aka using exemplary, proficient, approaching, and not yet, and not yet instead of grades, summative as a hundred percent of the grade, etc. What do you think of it? I've not heard of that. Over, so sometimes electives are like that. And sometimes I know they have like certain classes that are pass fail. You know, it's, it, I think it depends on my problem that I would have with a system like that is I think too often schools will adopt a system for a year or two and then they do away with it. They're like, oh, that didn't really work. We have to move on. And I don't know a relationship in my life where I've been able to even do that, right? Or a position in my life where like, you have to try things and then tweak them and then tweak them again and tweak them again and stick to it to see if it's actually going to work. My students are so motivated by grades and points and whether it counts, like I said, that, you know, if we change the system, they just want to know, am I getting credit for it? Am I not getting credit for it? How much do I have to do to pass? And I, you know, there's uh, in the book I was reading last week, there was Seth Godin was saying, that if you ask, a little bit higher, everyone could raise it a little bit higher. And the reason that we do that is, first of all, why wasn't your, I, at first I said, raise your hand as high as you can, which means you should be able to go a little bit. and not work as hard as you have to like what can I get away with instead of how can I excel at this and so many jobs are like that because if they see you can do a little bit more then they're going to want a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and so we we sit back and we try and ride it out in like a C level and try instead of like trying to crush it every single day so I get why kids would do that I just think you know I think a, a program like that could work you would just have to stick with it so that the students fully understand it, the teachers fully understand it, and it just is going to work. You'll be able to have time to work the kinks out. Uh, Danielle is asking, 
I'm going into my first year of teaching in September, secondary education, and I have no idea where to start preparing for the school year. What do you, uh, what do you do in the summer to get ready for school? I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you could do. I wouldn't try and think too much about the year as a whole. I would take it in chunks, right? So like, what do you want those first few days to look at or to look like? I, um, my first few days look exactly the same every single year. The first day, I never talk about rules. I never talk about syllabus. I never talk about any of that stuff. I talk about how excited I am to be there. And I do a presentation on myself so that the students know who I am, know where I'm coming from, know more about me and why we're even here and and then I talk about what we're going to do this year. Students, like, do you have like a questionnaire that you want them to answer? Do you want them to do some certain activity or like an icebreaker or a game in the beginning of the year? Like, what would that look like? And I wouldn't get too bogged down on like, did you pick the exact hundred percent right activity to open the year with? What you do with that, if you think that's cool, if you're excited about it, you're going to have more of a buy-in from the kids. So it's more about how you pull it off and not so much about the exact activity. So if you want any of that stuff, you can email me or anyone can at realwrapwiththereynolds at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to send my, I'll send you my seating chart if you want. I'll send you my beginning of the year questionnaire that I do. Or I have the students do a letter to themselves every day, first day of ninth grade. That's the first thing that you do before I talk about anything because I give that back to the kids at graduation. That's a really fun ritual that we do um, every year at graduation. So, and then I would do stuff that would get me excited. Like, what is your room going to look like? How are you going to decorate your room? Do you have a room? Are you, do you have a cart instead? Like, is your cart going to be like the greatest cart that ever existed? And the, I think building in that excitement and not just because soon enough, you're going to have all kinds of paperwork and all kinds of this. Um, and then do me a favor, hit me up with any questions. You start freaking out in the summer. You can't sleep. You're not really sure what to do. Just let me know, like send me an email or a DM or a comment. And I'd be happy to try and help you out with that. And uh, because I think that what we're doing here, even on this channel right now is we are acting as a community of educators, right? Which is why I always ask people to go ahead and comment on other people's comments and questions because we're, this is not a solo act, right? This is all of us working together for the betterment of children all over the world. And so lean into that a little bit and like take people's, um, don't be afraid to like ask a question or ask for help on something. Woodland creature teacher is asking bars. Uh, how many time do you dead or how much time do you dedicate to your classroom over your summer break? Ooh, too much. I have 12 weeks off. I have a hard time, quote unquote, turning off my teacher ideas, but I also want to maximize family time. I, I know too well. You make your family what, help with the classroom. There so you go. <laughs> there it is. So my wife is saying I have my family help with the classroom ever since my kids were little. They love coming up in the beginning of the year. They wipe things off. They help me clean my boards. They help me organize stuff. They help me write things on the board for the first day. They, my kids love doing that. They love coming to school and like grading things and organize things. And if you can teach like, like if I teach my 10 year old, like how to use the copy machine, that's like a big deal, right? Cause that's like something only the teachers do, but like 
showing you this is how you push the buttons this is how you put the paper in this is how you make sure that's stapling this is what i want you to do with all of them when you're done so that helps i have a hard time turning off i already have about 15 ideas of stuff that i want to do in my classroom next year and th while the students are taking finals that's all i'm thinking about because all of my work's done for the year like all i can think about is next year now so i have a pinterest um, account that's real rap with Reynolds that I keep putting all of my ideas on these Pinterest boards of stuff that I want to do or gaining ideas from something and then turning it into something else. So yeah, it's hard. I, I spend a lot of time, but it's a lot of fun. And you know, the other part of that I think is my children get a, have a lot of fun coming to school with me and then like running amok in the building. Uh, two weekends ago, Brody and his best friend Grayson were running around the school with the Nerf guns. And they had a blast when they were really little. They'd bring their big wheels up or their scooters and they would just ride all over the school. They'd get on the elevator and ride to a different floor and tear all over the place. So it gives them, they have a lot of fun with it too. Scottish Revert teacher said, um, great job of fasting. They're doing an 18 hour fast. How long did you fast for? Uh, so Scottish Revert te teacher is asking how long did I fast for? You're doing an 18 hour fast. So, wow, that's, that's pretty good. I have, I fasted from, I didn't eat anything until what time? Eight o'clock that night, something like that. Nine o'clock that night. Um, so, and I didn't, so right now I'm doing something called intermittent fasting, right? Which I don't eat until about 11 or 12. And then I don't eat after dinner. So I only eat in like a seven or eight hour window of the day. And what I'm trying to do is like get more and this sounds so hippie talking about this out loud trying to get in, in honed in with my circadian rhythm, right? So like I wake up when the sun comes up and then I try and go to bed at a reasonable hour. And I only try to eat between those times because your body, it shows that your body digests food better and it, you have less um, kind of like issues with, with health and with sleep and with fat gain and stuff like that. So that's something I'm working on. But um, so that's a pretty good fast in the day, but that day I didn't eat all day until about eight or nine at night, and I was starving by the time I ate. So I ate but it was interesting. So good work. I, I told my students I'm I've seriously considered, um, although I'm not Muslim, I considered like doing the fast with them next year for Ramadan just to kind of be in solidarity with the students because it's really hard when all the other students are eating at school and they're not. So and it's you know, just another way for me to kind of like, it breaks down that cultural boundary where like, I'm not from where you're from, but like, I'll sit and I'll do this with you. Like, let's go. I'll get down with it. CC is asking, have you ever experienced working under a principal that favors some teachers more than others? And it's so very obvious. It is causing a divide in our school and we are losing great teachers. Uh, I have. And I think I have, and I know that's the case. I think sometimes I have thought that was the case, but I didn't really have proof. It's just like, you know, like it's kind of when you think you're man. Checking them out. You're not looking at me. You don't look at me like that. I saw you look at that girl. And we are kind of like, we are seeing the things we are expecting to see. So I'm, and I'm not saying that that's definitely happening, but it could be, right? Like when you're already mad at someone and they do the smallest thing, I know like I get aggravated with my kids when they do that kind of stuff. Um, I, 
I have just, let me think of it this way. I have this mindset now where I don't need any, are you laughing at me right now? <laughs> I don't need, and this doesn't, how do I say this? Right. I say, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to hide anything and I'm not going to talk about this. Like my, my administration could go on and watch this right now, but they are, if so, one of my favorite human beings in the world, I'm going to tell the story like this, is the CEO of our school. Until last year, he was our principal, and then he moved up, and he's like the top dog now, right? I have a really good relationship with him. Um, but I don't need him to like me, although he does, and we get along very well. I know in the back of my mind that, for me, it's the teachers supporting the teachers. Administration has enough stuff going on, and although I get that they like they are, they back certain teachers up and not others. They're nice to certain teachers and they're not to others. What I want to do is create a community of people around me that want to be around me and I want to be around them. And if someone doesn't want to be a part of my crew or if they don't want to let me into their circle of fun, then kind of to hell with that. Like I'm trying to have the best time ever. And the only way I can do that is if I'm with people that want to be with me. So I'd rather have a party, right? With five people at it that are super fun, that are easy to, ready to laugh, that are having a good time, than show up at a party where like no one kind of wants to be your friend and it's super awkward. And cause that just sucks. And sometimes like I've been to those parties, I've been literally when like my kids will have a birthday party to go to, you just have like a click and they don't want to let you in. And I'm like, no, but I swear I'm fun. I like telling jokes and I want to be funny and be your friend. And they're just like, kind of like, no, excuse me. Like, like we're in mean girls or something. So I, I just would not worry myself with things that you can't change, right? You can't make someone like you. So just like shut it off and then go make your most, like let your, if we're going to use a word like revenge be that we're going to have the most awesome time. Hey, when you're ready and you realize that we're awesome, come hang out with us. But if you're not and you never do, then whatever, dude. Like, I'm just trying to have a great time. And, and so that's what I would do. Teacher, you have more power as a teacher to have an awesome day than you think you do. And I think you should, like, take advantage of that power and really get down with the people that want to get down. Um, Ashley Sebaska? That's a very interesting last name. I like it. Uh, says, hey, Reynolds, I wanted to know what are your thoughts on how to handle bullying? I know that you have touched on it before, but what do you say to kids who are bullied and how do you handle bullying as a parent? Oh man, those are two different things. Those are two different things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as a teacher, we'll start with, <laughs> I, so as a human being, right? Let's start, let's start here in high school. I literally got my ass kicked every single day of freshman year. Um, I never went to the bathroom. I showed up to school on the short bus. And in the United States, in the 90s, 80s, whenever, the short bus was always for like what they would call like like the special ed kids, right? This was like the, the like, I don't know, the, what am I thinking of? Like, it wasn't really. It was just because I went, came from a small town, so they put us on a short bus. But everyone everyone getting off the short bus right and although now i'm like it's so stupid but when you're in high school it hurts your feelings right you don't want to be like looped in with kids that are like on the on the fringe normal right that's all you want to be is just normal and when you're starting high school 
And so I would run home from the bus stop every day because I was afraid to pee at school because I would get beat up in the bathroom all the time. And I went to a very, very rough high school. So as a teacher, that's why I allow students to eat my room and eat breakfast in my room and hang out after school. And I don't let anyone go through the day as much as I can, like feeling unseen or if I see someone depressed or down, I make sure that I talk to them about it because I want them to know they have a safe place. I want them to know that I know what that's like to go through that and that um, and to have someone to trust in that I can talk with them about that situation. So as a teacher, that's what I try to do. Just let them know that I'm here. And then I try and make these groups of like all the oddball students. It looks like the Island of Misfit Toys from the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie, where it's like the water pistol that shoots jelly and the train with square wheels are hanging out together. And when you can get kids that feel like no one cares about them into a group where they like embrace their weirdness or the fact that they are a little bit different than everyone else, then there's power in that. There's power in knowing that like, no, all the weird dudes can hang out together and it's going to be awesome because we all like weird stuff and we all like, you know, doing goofy things. So I, I think there's power in that. As a parent, it is a much different conversation because I'm not there and that's what kills me. So I've had not so good parent moments where one time this guy, he grabbed my son on from behind on his inner thigh and like squeezed him for, I don't know why, like not in, on his groin, but like on his thigh, my son dropped to his knees and started crying. The kid started laughing and then looked up and saw me and bolted. And I may or may not have chased that child across the school grounds. I wasn't going to grab him or anything, but like I was going to have a conversation with him. Um, he jumped in his car and then my wife may or may not have almost gotten a fist fight with that child's parent the next day. But um, because why? Because I went and found her. Because you are a ruthless savage that knows no bounds. You're like the John Wick of motherhood. Um, that's that means you would kill people. No. But, uh, that was a little bit extreme. So I think as a parent talking to my kids when they think they're getting bullied or when someone's making fun of them, I try to one. My kids would tell you I try to tell them that everyone has a story. No kid is bullying just because they want to bully. They're, they're bull know how to deal with their pain or, or there's something else going on in their life. Now, that doesn't really help your kid because when they're getting bullied and they can't just think, oh, your life's probably sad at home. That doesn't help. So I try to teach my kids tactics. Um, I teach them jokes. I teach them comebacks. I teach them what they can say, who they can ask for help, how you ask for help without seeming like you're ratting someone out or putting them on blast. Like, like you don't say teacher, they're bothering me. Like go to the teacher and say, look, I don't know what's going on with this kid, but he keeps bothering me every day. Would you mind having a conversation with him? Um, or just saying things back. Like I teach my kids that, you know, just saying, if, Someone tells fat, tell them your mom's fat. Or like if someone says, you smell, um, know what, you know who smells? Your mom smells. And that's a really easy comeback. Is it nice? Is it grown up? No. But when you're in second grade, like what are you going to teach them to do? Like have a conversation with someone and there's not going to, you know, and if the teacher's not stepping in, it's, it is a hard, hard thing to figure that's out. That's what she's saying. She said, um, they always say that the teachers always say that they didn't see it or nothing. Oh, my coworkers have 
children in elementary school who are being bullied and the teacher always says that they didn't see it happen and it seems like nothing is done. Yeah, and that's the worst, right? So like, what are you supposed to do about it? I would maybe seek out the parent and say, hey, this is what my child thinks is happening in class because there are sometimes that I think I thought I was getting bullied when I was a kid and I probably wasn't. I probably just didn't know how to take the joke. I'm, I was and remain and still yeah. am sensitive. Like, so if someone says something, I'm like, Oh, that hurts. My, I always tell my wife, I'm like, that hurts my heart when I hear that or like, that hurts my feelings. And so I think maybe reaching out and talking to those parents and, you know, sometimes just meeting a parent lets you in on a whole slew of things where you're like, Oh, this is why your child's like this. And sometimes meeting someone talking to them gives you the kind of insight and, and like work. you You're realize right. that there's more to the story than you thought there You're was. Six, I'm thinking of All right. So there's, it's six o'clock. I'm, I'm going to answer these last few questions. So uh, even though we only usually do this for an hour, but Quincy is asking, I'll try and keep my, I like long answers. Yeah, I apologize. Quincy Newgate is asking my student teaching program is in a middle school, but I've always wanted to teach in a high school. What should I look for into, uh, should I look into moving to another school or is middle school teaching worth looking into? I think middle school and high school are so similar. I, I don't think there's a huge difference um, in what I've observed from like seventh through ninth grade and ninth grade's my jam. I think what it's going to do is give you a fuller sense of like who you're teaching. Why do they act the way that they do? Where do they learn the stuff that they learn from? What should they be learning in seventh and eighth grade so that when you teach them in ninth and 10th grade, they should know already. It's just going to give you more insight. So you could look for a different school, but if you're with a good cooperating teacher and you have a good setup at that school and it's the kind of place you want to be, I would just stay because you might get a high school like cooperating teacher and they might suck or the, the classes might not be as good or, or whatever. And then you might be beat. So I would look at kind of the bigger picture. Do you like where you are? Do you like the cooperating teacher? Do you like the pe other people you'd be working at? Do you like the classes that you'll be teaching? Um, and then just act like a sponge because what you're there to see also is not just to try teaching because that's that craft is really going to come your first year of teaching. I would, again, be the sponge, soak up as much information as you can from every single teacher that you can and ask as many questions of students and then practice building relationships with students because no matter if they're in seventh grade or 12th grade, being able to talk to kids and being able to be consistent and being able to build those relationships is all going to kind of look the same. In, and there's not as many differences as you think that there are. George Jones is asking, what are your thoughts on no excuses behavior policies? Um, like no excuses as in like, it's the same thing every single time, no matter what kind of a thing. Um, if that's what you're asking, George, I think, look, Consistency is a big thing in my classroom. All of my students know it, but there's never any hard and fast rules, right? Like unless there's just none, there, there's not, not that I can think of, right? So even if someone uses, let's say someone curses in my classroom, right? Or someone uses like a slur that I don't appreciate. I don't kick every single kid out and say, oh, today we're saying we're like using, um, you know, you said the F word or you called someone gay. Like those are things that I don't stand for at all in my classroom, but it's not like now you have a zero for the day and I'm kicking you out and sending you to the principal. It's always like sit and step into the hallway. Let's have this conversation. I need to know. 
if that keeps going, then that that's a different animal. But like, there are very few things where like I that I have like I, I just think there needs to be more grace because you don't know what people are going through and you don't know what the day held for them. You don't know what they came from the class before that. So anything set in stone is just gonna you know. I tell, I just think it's not a good idea. I tell my students all the time that fair is not equal. So I might yell at one kid and there's another kid that I might never, ever, ever yell at. There's might be one kid that every time they get out of their seat, bro, like you might need to be removed from the classroom. Or if you touch another student, you might get removed from the classroom. And there's somebody else that's like, what are we doing? Can we get our minds right? Right. Let's move on. And because all kids are different and it's not like a one size, no, no rule is one size fits off. I, I don't think. Um, Mika Miller is saying this year I have a rough class. I just found out that I will be moving up to fifth grade with some of the same students. And how do I be more strict, even though they already know me? I think the fact that they already know you can help you win. Right. And I know this because last year I got a class of some of the most difficult students in the ninth grade class. And then I willingly took them over in 10th grade because I didn't, because we had, it started so rough and it ended in a better place. And I knew if that in 10th grade, we could crush it. And so the, here's, here's what I would do. Number one, all of those kids, even if this is a total lie, because I'm not against lying sometimes, I would tell them that you ask to have them in your class again say, I really think that we can do some good work. I feel like I know who you are. I feel like I know what you were capable of last year. And I just want you to do great this year. And so I asked for you to be in my class. And that goes a long way because if you're a pain in class, like if you're a pain in someone's butt and then you find out that the teacher like asked for you, then that's like, when's the last time that kid was like ever asked to join anything besides detention. So that can go a long way. And then just make that your mindset. Like, yeah, I'm stoked that I have this kid again this year. Like I'm going to um, make more of a point to make a connection with those kids. And I would do that by letting them know, like, Hey, I already know you. So I'm going to give you like a little bit more trust. I'm, like, can you help me hand out papers or organize things, alphabetize things? Can you run to the office and get my copies? Like they become kind of your wingman instead of, um, you being like, oh my God, I hate that this kid's in here. And I realize, I realize what I'm asking here. I realize that some kids are such a pain that you don't, you can't even fathom that. But that's why we have summer break because we can get over those kinds of things. And it makes it a little bit easier to do that in the beginning of the year. Uh, I think I have two more. Carl Beatty is asking the other thing, behaviors, cheating and destroying kids, art room in my class. This made me feel really mad. How do I handle these feelings towards the kids that did this? I think the way that you do that is <clears throat> I am a big, big believer in envisioning what I'd like to see myself doing. So I have those conversations ahead of time. I have the conversation with a student that stole something, that broke something, that that hurt someone else. And I walk through that. Con I literally will sit quietly in my room alone and I will have the conversation beforehand with the student. And you look like you're out of your mind and that you've been up drinking all night. But in fact, it just helps you kind of walk through it before it actually happens. It's like practice before the game. It's like a scrimmage, right? But I think that that can help. Also, trying to find more out about who kids are can give you a softer 
hard to deal with those sometimes. Now, not all the time. Sometimes you find out and it just makes you aggravated because you're like, oh, you come from two loving parents and you're still a jerk. Like that makes me more pissed off. But a lot of times you find out things about kids and it's like you are stealing, but you it's because you didn't have something else. Right. Or whatever it is, or like you're breaking things because your parents are getting a divorce. So I think those two things are my kind of go to in that particular situation. Oh, we skipped one. Well, I mean, you can do that. One. All right, I'll do this and then we'll go back to uh, Amram's question. GameCrow88 is saying, will you be continuing teacher talk live throughout the summer? That's a great question. I think we're going to take a break. Or we thought of doing. Um... But we thought about doing every other week since most folks are not teaching throughout the summer. And we thought about uh, stopping until like mid-July when people um, in most of the countries in the world to like go back to school. But I realized that this is not like a US like live stream. It's a world live stream. And I want to be there for people. We are going to keep it on YouTube. We're not going to switch it to Facebook, which was a prior idea. Um, but I want to do whatever works for everyone else. So the plan is to maybe do it every other week or do it um, a little hiatus for like a month and then start up in the middle of July, just because I feel like that's what would help other people. And I believe the last question is, Amram Nemeth, Nemeth said, what do you do when a child in the class is misbehaving if the child comes from a very dysfunctional home? You know that it is not all the child's fault. It feels unfair to punish him in this situation. All right, here's what you're going to do. One, you're going to invest time and energy into that student learning who they are, where they come from, what their situation is. Two, you're going to hold that child accountable for what they do. Just because you come from a bad situation does not mean that you can get away with stuff. And you'll find sometimes that having that consistency with kids gives them it like they like that. They like the rules. They like that they come in every day and you shake their hand at the door, that the do now is in the same exact spot, that they sit in the same spot, that they do the same thing, that you say hi to them every day, that you never let them a day go by. We don't give them a hug or a high five or a handshake. You see that kids, they crave that consistency on a level that when you don't do it, when you're not at the door, when you don't say hello to them, it kind of like freaks them out. And they don't know what the hell's going on. Or like you forgot the do now or the date was wrong. It's like, ah, the, my normal is gone. You become the consistency. You become the normal in that child's life. And then just having grace for them. And one of the things I think helps the most is helping them find a peer group in which they can be themselves and not just be who everyone thinks that they should be. Like own your weird, own your, your oddness. And, and I, and I have a lot of conversations with students about the fact that, that like, you don't have to be who you came from, right? So like whoever your parents were, your family was, whatever your situation has been in life does not define who you become. Like I did not become what anyone thought I was going to become a, as a kid. Uh, and there's, you can really like, if you can get kids to believe that you can get kids to kind of like believe in themselves and buy into the process a bit more and see school as, you know, the process or the game that it is to get to the thing that you really want. Um, and that can really, really help. But, uh, yeah, don't be afraid to have those conversations with students and ask them like, what's going on? How can I help? Like, or just know that I'm here every day. I see you no matter what. And that's, that's a big deal. 
Is that it? I mean, that's the last one. If you want to answer it, sorry. Last last one is Hayden yes, Brillhart saying, "Any tips for very soon teachers?" Uh, let me think. What's something that we haven't talked about? Well, I just think that your standard always when you talk about it is like, just be who you are. Don't fake. Like, I think that's the important one. I think so. Thanks, dude. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> my wife is saying that I'm always telling people to be who you are. And what I mean by that is don't play it safe, right? And I realize what I'm asking here. What I'm asking for you to do is not show up, look at what everyone else is doing and go, okay, this is the standard. This is how we act. This is how we greet people. This is what my room should look like. This is how we interact with one another. This is how we interact with the students. This is how much homework I should give. This is how much classwork I should give. This is how I should teach from bell to bell. This is how my classrooms, the volume level should be. This is um, my what my seating assignment should look like. This is what like. Throw all that stuff out the window. Be the teacher you always wanted, the teacher you always wanted to be when you start teaching on day one. People will think you're weird. They'll think you're doing too much. They'll think you're an asshole. They'll think that you're goofy. They'll think that you're being strange. They'll think that you will never last doing that kind of stuff. But over time, they will see that like that's just who you are. And then you become known as the weird teacher. They'll be like, oh, him. Oh, oh he just that's what he does. That's, you know, Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so. Like that's how they act every day. And I know this from experience because I remember when I first started teaching, I was nervous to be the teacher that I always wanted. And, you know, you can start doing that slowly. <clears throat> like if you can't go full tilt, like have elements of it in there, but it's, I, I just think, you know, if you're going to jump in the pool, do not dip your foot in there to see if it's cold first. Just jump in the pool, like get wet, have fun, go full tilt. Um, because otherwise it's for people that wait that three years in a day to get tenure, you're just, what you're doing is you're painting yourself into a corner. You're giving everyone your, like this sense of who you are and i just think that that's you're, you're being fake right like no one wants to date someone and then you find out a week in that like oh they're actually a lot weirder than i thought or they're into weirder stuff or that's what they actually do or like they're not always dressed that nice sometimes they wear old t-shirts that they got from a conference in 1997 um so be like a hundred percent authentic of who you are and i swear to you it will only benefit you um what am i looking at uh, Miss Jones class is saying your wife for life is so right. Be authentic always. Yes. So yes, I think that that is, is it. And there's Amir Williams. You can find him in the Belize video. He is an excellent human being. Um, you wanna... I think that's it. <laughs> what is it? Uh, our friend is saying, isn't it weird? Even when as adults, we want our questions to read our out loud. Is it just me? Uh, is it weird that that they are being read out loud or that you want them? Yeah, man, everyone likes to be picked, right? Like, I just am in this position where I pick the questions, but totally. I, which like, is why we go in order, because I'm not picking yeah, But anybody. when I've been on other people's <laughs> live feeds, like back in the day, um, if someone picked my question, I'd be like, oh, man, they just sent my name on the internet. Like, this is it. Like, everyone heard me. And I think that's super fun, right? You want to be picked. Um, yeah. So, cool. All right. Everyone, if you're at the Ed by Ed conference in New York City this week, it's on Thursday speaking. I will be there. It's a, shoot in one of my emails. I'd love to come and talk at your school and, and have that become something that's happening. And, and I'm, I'm booking for those now. And then uh, 
that's it. Um, I think that's all I have to say, right? That's it. Cool. I'll put all those links and stuff below. And I hope that you have the greatest end of the school year ever. And if you're in Australia, I hope you have the greatest middle of your school year ever. And was that a little bit sarcastic? Yes, but. That's what you do. That's what I do. Um, I love you guys. Thanks for everything. Peace. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.